You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm Josie, and today we are joined by our friend, Daniel Munoz. Hi, Daniel. Hello, Josie. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Went to Ikea today, so I'm tired, but (laughs) I love Ikea. (laughs) I feel you, though. No, a lot of my furniture is Ikea. As for my day, it's been unseasonably warm for February here in D.C., so I did enjoy a nice after-work walk around the neighborhood, and then the climate anxiety kind of like spiraled for like a good 10 minutes and then I got tired. So, Oh, amen. It's freezing cold here in California. So I get you. Oh my God. For real in Southern California. It's so cold, but you haven't had any mudslides or anything like that. Have you? Not yet. We have a week of rain coming. So we'll see. (laughs) Okay. Well, I hope you don't go washing away right into the Pacific. Well, that's only the rich people problem. The rest of us don't have to worry about it. (laughs) Uh, You just get puddles. That's good. Yeah, exactly. All right. Cool. Well, Daniel, um, we start off this podcast by asking people to tell us their life story, their testimony. (laughs) Their Uh, traumas. Yeah, their traumas. (laughs) So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, everybody. My name is Daniel Munoz. I don't understand the Enneagram, but I'm a Virgo sun, Aquarius moon, and a Sagittarius rising. And it's just a fun thing that you can just project all parts of yourself onto. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Maybe the Enneagram is better. I'll have to sit down and focus on a test doing that. Um, I'm an advertising professional. I live in the greater DC area, and I'm an LGBTQ and Latino community advocate and activist. Uh, I am a plant daddy. You can kind of see my, my, my vines growing on my bookcase right over here. <laughs> uh, I am now into 14, maybe 15, 16 months of painting with acrylic paint. So I oh, do a little bit of that. Cute. Yeah. And I am a first generation American by way of my Colombian dad and second generation Christian school kid by way of my American mom. Mm. Mm, poor thing well we'll get into that it's it's complicated it's nuanced um and in deep nuanced conversations uh i was pleased to attend on january 6th the straight white american jesus seminar hosted by brad onishi and dan miller and uh, to the homies yeah And, you know, I felt so honored that Brad read my question about how Christian education circles, and I name dropped the American Christian Schools International, I think that's what the acronym is, ACSI, which my Christian private school is a part of, or is a part of, um, how those education circles are addressing or framing January 6th. The time marker, if you want to go on that episode, is about like 55 minutes and 48 seconds. Uh, And Brad mentions that they haven't really talked much about education on the podcast. And he doesn't think the panel really follows this topic much either. Uh, Matt Taylor, one of the panelists from Charismatic Revival Fury says, I'd honestly be shocked if they even mention it. The easiest way to teach about it is to avoid it. And Mm. Dan Miller says that there's trivialization about it, like tours at the Capitol. 
Uh, I remember sitting from my home here in the Maryland border of D.C., just right at the tippy top of where D.C. and Maryland meet. Mm-hmm. Kind of horrified watching everything in motion, hoping that like a few friends that work on the Capitol were safe that day. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the you're Capitol, so this close. It, like about seven miles away and it's too close like <laughs> it's so close and traffic here even with traffic yeah it, it's still kind of it's too close right yeah. so at the end of this you know i decide to read brad onishi's new book preparing for where preparing for where <laughs> preparing for war <laughs> wearing army fatigues but honestly it touches more on the christian education movement and parts and pieces of it, of it than i thought mm. and uh i recommend it if you want to read more into it to kind of understand some of like the wallpaper within the room of white christian nationalism the greater movement around it especially like you know education and stuff like that and that all got me thinking about my Christian school experience. And because you are fun and you say in your podcast, podcast promo, (laughs) wow, mispronouncing words today, that, um, hey, if you want to come on, let us know. (laughs) Let it hit you up. And uh, so let's get into it. Um, Christian schools as we know it today. uh, The book that Brad wrote has some important events that he kind of, you know, writes out that happened in the middle of the 20th century. Uh, You would know this because of LA, Uh, 1947, Mendez versus Westminster. It paved the way for the 1954 ruling of Brown versus Board of Education, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Then right afterwards, 1963, Betty Friedan published The Feminine Mystique, along with Kennedy signing the Equal Pay Act. 1965, Lyndon Johnson signs Executive Order 11246, which is against sexual harassment in the workplace. In 1964, Martin Luther King Jr. and President Johnson shake hands and pose for the camera after the Civil Rights Act was signed into law. 1967 is Loving versus Virginia. And then 1969 was the Stonewall Uprising. Now, that's a great year to end this kind of timeline of progressive changes within, you know, the middle of the 20th century. Um, Because in 1969, for one year, my mom attended Lynchburg Christian Academy, now known as Liberty Christian Academy, which is affiliated with Liberty University. Rip. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, right? And that school was announced in 1966 in papers, local newspapers, as a Christian school for white children by Jerry Falwell Sr., founded it. And she was only there for a year, but she liked the teachers and the students and overall had a positive experience. And well, she was a white Christian kid at a white Christian school. Classic. Make of that what you will, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, then let's cut to, well, was your family fundy, Daniel? And the answer is no. Um, my mom was raised Baptist, but, I mean, she watched Oprah in the 90s. <laughs> she seemed kind of wow. progressive, you know, and that's it. I know, right? What a <laughs> marker. And uh, my dad, of course, was Catholic, right? Mm. Well, not, of course, Catholic, but that's, I think, the assumption. Yeah, statistically, probably be Catholic, yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, totally, right? Especially coming from Colombia, where like mm -hmm. Protestantism still isn't like a big thing even today. Definitely. Um, but the thing is, is that uh, early on developmentally, my parents, uh, you know, found out that I have both ADHD as well as, you know, a speech and language processing disorder. And by the time I would be going into kindergarten, uh, I would need a smaller classroom with more attention from the teacher. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she reflected on her time at LCA, she, in which, you know, was a positive experience for her. And then she decided to send me and my twin brother there. And for a while, until the middle of elementary school or so, you know, I'd go after school across town to a speech pathologist or some kind of doctor where I learned how to like socialize, make conversation, read and so on. So I'm guessing, you know, my situation back then was pretty bad, right? And if costs are mounting up and you have twin boys, oh yeah, I have a twin brother <laughs> <laughs> whose name is also Adrian, just like Adrian Gibbs from uh, Dirty Rotten Church Kids. So, Shout out wow. to the other <laughs> Shout out to the other irreverent media podcast, right? Uh, you know, whatever I had was pretty bad. And, you know, whether it was to cut on costs or just be like, you know, go switching schools for kids is traumatic. And maybe for a kid with learning differences, it could be, you know, even more traumatic. You know, we might as well like, you know, try to be safe on this one, mm -hmm. right? So off we went and you needed to be, I think you still need to be like an active member of a church in order to attend the school. Don't really know, graduated like 15 years ago. Um, but my parents settled on a United Church of Christ church in Winter Park, Florida. And while I don't remember it being like racially diverse or anything like that, I do remember it being a relatively chill place. And that kind of lines up within what I now know about the UCC. And I was baptized Catholic as a baby, of course, but like never confirmed or did anything in Protestantism. And I'm, mm -hmm. you know, happy with that. So let's go on into elementary school. I went to uh, the Master's Academy in Oviedo, Florida now um, from about kindergarten to 12th grade. Uh, their original elementary school campus was in a town called Longwood, which is like to the north of Orlando. Mm -hmm. And then Oviedo is like to the Northeast and we were living closer to like downtown Orlando. So, you know, it, it was a long drive to get to and from school. But anyway, here's what I like to call the good, the bad and the fabulous. Okay. Yes. Here's the good. This, the, the, the master's Academy definitely wasn't Jerry Falwell's segregation Academy. You know, mm -hmm. if we're looking at the learning environment of that school from the surface, you know, I had my first black teacher in third grade, Miss Falana, and she taught, you know, all my subjects. Uh, if you had to line up all my elementary school homeroom teachers and right in front of me right now, I would probably scream and run straight into the arms of Miss Falana. I loved her. <laughs> you know, she was great. Um, but all of them were pretty good. I, I don't really have like any complaints they were all different in their own way and that's cool but definitely miss falana was awesome um and i also had a core group of friends shared between me and my brother because we were separated um by homeroom classes all the way from kindergarten to 12th grade so that like you know it would help me socialize a little better um but yeah we still had a core group of friends from like kids that i was friends with in my class and 
friends that my brother had in his class. And there wasn't a lot of racial and ethnic diversity at the school in that aspect, but we had another Latino boy in our group, don't remember his background, but there was another boy also that is half white on his mom's side and half Iranian on his dad's side. And the fact that there was another kid with like a white American mom and a foreign born brown dad, it was really cool to me. And that was somebody I could see myself in, you know? So I think that was cool. Uh, that's the good, the bad. Uh, on the other hand, the school used the Abeka curriculum Ooh. in the earlier years. Oh yeah. And you know, it has a very, very, um, how would you describe it? A very robust phonics component that was really useful for someone like me, mm -hmm. but many online and you can look on YouTube and in Reddit on other places have criticized the curriculum for being historically revisionist anti-communist and anti-socialist, uh, some problem, very problematic in a lot of ways, anti-science, you know, uh, episode 68 of the Leaving Eden podcast does a big deep dive into the Abeka curriculum and Pensacola Christian College, which is the institution that publishes that curriculum. So, you know, cite your resources, check that out. Um, and an assistant PE teacher in the elementary school would purposely call me Mendoza instead of Munoz. Ew. Nobody ever pronounced my last name correctly at the school, like really, really. But this was very much a racist act. Yeah. And it hurts as a kid. And then the older I got, I was like, wow, that was really racist. That was really mm -hmm. messed up. But uh, we're going to try to go for a uh, redemption here with the fabulous, um, <laughs> which is uh, for the Christmas musical one year, they gave me a solo piece where I got the spotlight. I moved up front to the microphone and I sang a song that went like, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth, yeah. my two front teeth, my two front teeth. And at the time I was missing my two front teeth. So having a little kid do that number in that way, that is 5,000% fierce. I Amen. love it. Still love it to this day. Um, however, like I knew from an early age that this school is different from the schools I saw on TV or read in books. And it definitely wasn't the kind that, you know, would get nominated or get the, the Nickelodeon truck to come out and do Nickelodeon's Cool Your School. Mm-hmm. Right. And we also had to wear a uniform from elementary school to 12th grade graduation. And it was in full neutrals. Josie, neutrals. Ew. White, khaki, navy, hunter green, and black. Yeah. Rebelde, it was not like it. Isoy Rebelde. Like they had all the cool uniforms. They slutted it up. And I was like, oh, yeah, no. I'm here in neutrals. Yeah. Languishing away in neutrals. Mm -hmm. Right. But let's get to the middle school and high school experiences. Uh, somewhere around this transition, um, you know, entering from fifth grade to sixth grade, you know, you start to change, you know, maybe you start to hit puberty or like begin to like get into that era where you're definitely not a kid anymore, but not a teenager just yet. And the white evangelical culture got to me. Uh, I started feeling intense body shame over the way I looked and the way I presented, like kind of feminine you know well I wasn't masked ever right <laughs> but 
I mean, maybe right now like this, but no, <laughs> uh, you know, I got started getting bullied for being skinny, for seeming gay, even though I vehemently denied it, right? Lie of the century, uh, <laughs> lie of that time period. And I felt insufficient in all my identities, you know, as a man, as a Latino person, for all the listeners out there, uh, I am very white presenting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You would not really peg me as that in any kind of like TSA, you know, line or anything like that. Um, and I was insufficient in my heterosexuality, even though I didn't have any, right? But, and, have or, or as a kid that attended that kind of school. And I don't know if this was, you know, kind of due to, you know, the rhetoric that like your identity is in Christ, mm. if that maybe played a role in it, or maybe it was just kind of that bubble, that that circle. Um, mm -hmm. Now, 9-11 happened in sixth grade. So this Bush era, all the way through middle school and high school, had undertones of like Christian nationalism and anti-Muslim sentiment. Um, and any anecdotes I provide on microaggressions around any kind of bigotry, especially like racial or ethnic bigotry here, isn't going to surprise anybody familiar with Christian school environments. And I will note that I did see more racial and ethnic diversity uh, within like the faculty and the students during this period, but not by an incredible amount. You know, it's not, it seems kind of weird, but like, like, have you ever been to a church that is, you know, has more of like, I don't know, a more white population, mm -hmm. you know, and there are certainly like black people, people of color, people from other like racial and ethnic identities you know there but like they don't really have like a prominent role or like nope. you know the population isn't that big so like all white evangelical churches <laughs> i guess so yeah well but yeah i've been to those very um chaotic for me as a brown person <laughs> as somebody that it appears brown in a tsa lineup and anywhere yep so. i actually got this is a funny story i got stopped in Iceland like I got pulled to the side I had to get like extra checking but it was funny because they definitely did it based on my last name because once I got there I could tell that these super white Icelandic people which were all beautiful by the way I don't know why everybody's beautiful in Iceland but they, everybody's got a modeling contract in Iceland I know they were like oh okay you can go and I was like okay because I'm like slightly less brown because I'm cute because I'm a little girl oh my god know? not that internalized white supremacy josie well yeah that's why i was like but that's hello this is also america i guess like, oh, i guess this is this podcast this is christian yeah this is christianity in america and yeah. traveling in iceland that's this episode i know i was like thanks iceland oh, no. for really confirming a lot of travel biases but anyways continue yeah. well and that's the thing the master's academy it built itself as a non-denominational Christian school. And while, yeah, non-denominational in a Christian context is a red flag for a lot of things, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that they let me in as a UCC kid, like, it, there, there was going to be a salad bowl of people at that school that came from different Christian traditions and maybe, you know, the majority would be like white megachurch, like that kind of like evangelical Christianity. Yeah. But then, I mean, not everybody. So I think it is important for me to kind of like, you know, put that out there. Mm -hmm. um, 
I will say though that there was a ton of purity culture and anti-LGBTQ stuff everywhere, mm. like very much like James Dobson, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, and I spaced out a lot in grade school, I think even more so in like middle school and high school, not just because of the ADHD, but because I was always dreaming of like worlds and spaces I'd want to be in and like, you know, what that life would look like. Um, now I still had a core group of friends, which including my brother Adrian amounted to about half of our graduating cl grade class of about 50 something, right? Mm. So like, you know, two big massive clicks. That was the class of 2008. Um, plus I was friendly with a lot of students outside of my own grade. Now, I mean, athletics department, scary. The PE, no go. <laughs> a lot of spaces where like performative masculinity was like, uh, and like, you know, that kind of like big masculinity. Uh, I just like it, really a lot of spaces, the super Christian-y ones, like Christian classes. I mean, like theology class, um, PE, that kind of stuff always just kind of like, ugh, you know, um, say, come to think of it. Do you like drag? I love drag. Oh my gosh. I Speaking of performative masculinity, there has been this drag act that has been in my head all week. I cannot stop playing it over and over. Okay, so picture this. You have a drag king come out dressed up as, uh, who's the guy that gives like, you know, insecure masculinity, but with like, you know like frumpy clothes and like a ton of like axe body spray to like cover up the insecurity has like a mustard stain on his shirt what's his name uh, it starts can, with an m i can name mark a or mike people i don't know we we were not a super christian home like mm -hmm. my house my home life was actually like pretty secular pretty whatever and like i used to watch like telenovelas with my dad like pedro Hell escamoso yeah. Which was like a Colombian telenovela. Best way I can describe it is like Latino Johnny Bravo set in yes. Colombia. Like wild stuff. I loved that stuff. But um uh, uh oh my god, it's the Axe 30 guy or the Axe 13, Axe oh, 9. Uh, Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll. I want to see Mark Driscoll come out on that drag stage. Amen. And uh, he's like it, we have like a six-second audio clip with him like holding a bible and everything like that and like him saying like something like bigoted and stuff like that and then the lights cut off and then like these pink lights turn on and you hear but da, 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 da. let's yes. go girls right and he does like a quasi like strip lip sync routine to to uh man i feel like a woman and we go from like like t-shirt with the mustard stain on it and like the dirty jeans and like the work boots to like like a lacy pink teddy oh <laughs> i would be tipping exclusively in tens amen amen oh my gosh we gotta make that happen we gotta make that happen we somebody if somebody is hearing this run with that idea um, yeah i'm not gonna you know what? make up for that but somebody do it <laughs> oh my god all you just need is some ketchup and mustard and some like nasty clothes that like your wife mommy has not cleaned yet for you amen you know <laughs> from what you're getting hearing from me is that if i was not safe or i did not 
feel comfortable in a lot of like super masculine spaces. Oh my God, the fine arts department. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Predictable answer was awesome. The director of it, Mrs. Tome, she loved me and I loved her. Uh, as well as, you know, the applied arts choir, most theater teachers. I was in band for like two years in middle school, but then I quit because I wanted a social life and to be cool. Whatever, I, mean, I was jokes. a band, rude. <laughs> you know what, I will, you know what, I will give you that it's like, you know what, quitting band in like seventh grade after like, you know, playing the baritone horn and only being the only <gasps> one that did that thing. in the school. <gasps> was that thing too heavy for you? It was so it was for me. It was so heavy. I used to lug it around everywhere. You had like this kind of femme, like, uh, uh, like a guy like ro rolling around this big baritone horn mm -hmm. class to, from class to class I hated it so, so when heavy. I quit after two years like jokes on me nobody was ever really cool at that school so well, you know whatever I mean, kind of aspirations yeah. I had <laughs> but I mean anyway. at least you were cooler than I mean I was not cool in high school so yeah you did the right yeah. thing <laughs> but like that's the thing is I got a lot of cool opportunities out of the fine arts department mm -hmm. um for instance for about three years i got to sing with the school choir doing like christmas music stuff Fun. uh one year i got to sing at dolly parton's dixie stampede on like oh. i4 just like in between yeah in between universal and like downtown orlando close where the outlet malls are so like hello queer icon dolly parton hey um and then I got to sing at Epcot twice in their Christmas Candlelight Choir, which was a big deal. Lots of kids from all across the state of Florida would come mm. through to like sing in this choir. And it was like these angelic voices. And I remember the choir teacher at the time in like senior year, Mrs. Collado, she showed me the audition tape for Disney that me and a lot of the other students were in. And she pointed out to me and said, look at that beautiful smile. You're perfect. Aww. I also remember her saying that she loved my handwriting, which always had this like unique kind of wonky character to it. So for somebody that like, again, struggled with language, struggled with grammar, struggled with a lot of stuff. I am a Nosabo kid too, which really sucks. <laughs> but like to hear that bit of affirmation from like a non-English teacher that wasn't like, you know, so hyped up over my penmanship, it was like, oh, great. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I thought in my 20s that my blunder years were my teen years. And I felt like so ashamed of like my queerness, but like, only recently I started looking back through some yearbooks and through like some photos that like friends took and oh my god Josie I was hilarious back then because <laughs> I was like I'm straight uh but like I had tons of bright accessories to my uniform my my backpack was like a super bright like baby blue mm. uh, I dyed my hair naturally occurring colors because it was you know um, part of like the dress code and even had like the Thalia bangs, like the Thalia Mechon from like the nineties, like that, those Hell blonde, yeah. Yeah. like yeah. super, super white streaky bangs. Um, and I mean, I kind of acted and joked around like a lot of like gay feeling camp, you know, so cute mm -hmm. future drag lover and gay nightlife supporter right over here. Uh, I bent a lot of those rules to the max and I'm surprised nobody ever like shot me with a dart gun and like kidnapped me to conversion therapy you know what mm. 
And some teachers were kind of surprising too. Uh, there was a teacher, Mrs. Airy. She was mom to a girl that was in my my graduating class since kindergarten. And she was always nice to me. And I remember in early high school, her saying, oh, you like Madonna? Ugh, I love Borderline too. Really takes me back. <laughs> that's just kind of like sure dan sure you're straight but don't worry you're cool don't worry about it and then um another teacher who also knew me from kindergarten i also but i had her as my english teacher in senior year uh, mrs lawston she was enthusiastic about letting me do fashion design as my senior year career presentation project and when that day happened the woman was thrilled absolutely thrilled to see me make one structural disaster out of polyester fabric yes and awkwardly style a few friends who walked the runway for me because hello purity culture also 90 2000 not 90s but like definitely early aughts disney channel how everything was super layered up oh my god it's such a tragedy looking back at it I know, but that's what they wanted. So you know what? I gave the people what they wanted. It was great. I received an A on that project, right? It's just kind of like, you know what? This is, I'm just one, I'm just only one step away from total and utter tragedy, like total and utter, like my life is over. Mm. And the line about my sexuality, you know, helped me get through grade school but little did i know that i was like abusing myself and Mm. barely making it to survive in that culture which again like kind of secularish household kind of like in a mixed culture lots of like international books and lots of music in spanish you know all the nine yards and stuff and like this is not like a bubble i wanted to be in um i once attended a student-led bible study after school in senior year because I wanted to hang out with classmates in casual clothing, right? When you live in the other county, when you live in Orange County and everybody else lives in Seminole, where your school is, you take advantage of like little social situations. And And you got to show off that you look better than everybody else every day. In, yeah, in discount rack, $10 Aeropostale clothes. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. They're kind of love that aesthetic, right? (laughs) But totally. And, um... I remember Adrian was just like, hell no, I am not going to this thing. You can't make me. And I was like, whatever, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, you know, like putz on over right over there. (laughs) And one kid who saw me when I arrived was like, oh my goodness, Daniel, welcome. Thank you for coming. We pray a lot for you and your brother too. I wish he came. And internally I was like, what the hell? You don't even really talk to me much. Or sit with me at lunch. How dare you? Yeah, for real. Right? So I couldn't wait to get the heck out and go to a secular college. Um, And like, you know, what's the cliff notes of what happened since? In 15 years since graduation, um, I was really guarded and I still used all the same defense mechanisms I had learned throughout grade school. Making it really awkward in college uh, in an environment where nobody cared. I went to the University of Tampa and one friend from that period said I would have been way more popular if I was out as gay back then. So I was just like, no boyfriend, no first kiss until after college. Well, no, 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 that's a lie. The first kiss part, but you know, like no boyfriend in college. It's like, ugh, that's the time when you have messy relationships and you're like figuring out 
you know, dating and stuff like that if you didn't do it in grade school, right? Mm. So whatever. Um, I came out to my brother in early 2016 and he was wildly supportive. Adrian is a real one. Um, and I was out to people in DC when I moved to the area in 2017, but like not out to like, family or like you know extended circles mm -hmm. um i did however join the lgbtq chapter of the league of united latin american citizens here in later 2018 so you know we go back to brad onishi's timeline mendes versus westminster 1947 lulac was a part of that mm -hmm. so you know that was tight that was cool yeah. um uh, and then I publicly came out in the Washington Blade. You can look it up. You can look it up online in February 2020 as one of their most eligible singles. <gasps> and I still have like, yes, they did a write-up and everything about, you know, what's like the thing that I regret the most though. Um, I have one regrettable like celebrity crush. I don't care about celebrities, but in that article, I said that my two celebrity crushes were Diane Guerrero and Maluma. Diane Guerrero is a sweetheart. Love her to death. Maluma. <laughs> yeah, it didn't age well right 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 no that did not age well everything else did but that was bad um so you know but hey we live and we learn and we um find out that bad bunny is the superior between the two yeah, right for real but anyway and then after the pandemic uh in well we're still in a pandemic let's not lie um but you know in summer 2021 at that point I made a ton of LGBTQ friends all across the community. I mean, like moms and dads, uh, government workers, uh, army people, um, artists, teachers, uh, professors, people at the National Institutes of Health, go-go uh, -go dancers, um, adult film actors, uh, who else? I mean, lots of drag performers, you know, uh, this smorgasbord of, you know, every and any queer identity that like you can think of. And I love my life here in DC. You know, I think it's so great compared to Florida, which, you know, I left in 2017 <laughs> and have not come back. Yeah. Um, you know, and this year, good golly, Florida. I mean, where do we start? Okay, there's uh, the proverbial from straight white American Jesus, Uncle Ron, mm. which I think Brad and Dan mean to say like any kind of like kind of white Christian nationalist male relative, but mm -hmm. in reality, it's Ron DeSantis. Let's be real. Oh, right. Um, you know, he got the college board to to gut black feminism and black LGBTQ liberation and uh, queer figures from their AP American African American class. So that's sad. He's had his state legislature advance a bill that would make all students eligible for private school vouchers. Um, and some people believe, I got the numbers right here. Um, it would be like maybe three figure million, like 200 something million dollars to the state education budget. But like some activists are saying it's gonna be in the billions. So that's pretty mm. wild, right? Um, Laura Heffernan, an English professor at the University of North Florida, released a tweet on February 7th saying, yesterday, my university notified me that it had searched my email. Oh my God. And it would be submitting 
some of those emails to the state legislature because they deal with diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Mm. And since then, she's made her Twitter private. So yeah. there's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Plus, uh, let's also be real. There are now 350 anti-trans bills introduced in 36 states right mm. now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, wow, things have been really crazy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I wanted to kind of see if there is a link to not just the past, like in the 1960s, you know, that Christian movement that then sought to kind of like you know, retake the country. And then, you know, you'll read in Brad Onishi's book that out of, you know, a series of very, you know, clear cut objectives, one of the three was that, you know, they need to make a Christian education, mm. right? Mm. Um, you know, be the law of the land to now today, um, I believe it was the uh, 17th of February, uh, Lauren Boebert co-sponsored a bill, uh, HR 899, to eliminate the Federal Department of Education mm. and make it terminate by the end of this year. You know, I wanted to see if there was like, kind of like a through line between that and you know, I tried reaching out to um, a few people that used to work at my old Christian private school, and none of them got back to me or, you know, wanted to do an interview. And I get it because, you know, I've never been a part of that bubble. Real, I've never been sold out for, you know, white evangelicalism, not even really for Christianity either. And... I have no really no ties to it. My life is fine now, but for a lot of these other people, you know, what if there was backlash and how bad would it affect them because they're that rooted in, you know, yeah. it's kind of bad, but I did get one person that uh, wanted to speak to me, even though she's not affiliated with any kind of, you know, a Christian education or anything like that. Her name is Dr. Shay O'Rourke Karashi. She, um, I know her as the daughter-in-law to my mentor, Lisa Brock, uh, who's, you know, the public relations queen of Tampa Bay. And she does awesome work out over there. But uh, Shay, um, well, Dr. O'Rourke Karashi to you. Uh, she um, used to be a part of an organization called Frameworks of Tampa Bay, which specializes in social emotional learning. Um, and before I get into, you know, my conversation with her, I want to, you know, kind of say, you know, hey, if you made it to this point in the podcast and you're like, you know, trying to get like the general theme of like what I think of my Christian school education, I think that it, like a lot of other, you know, white evangelical spaces in this country, it's defined by what is excluded, mm. really more so than what's kind of in there, you know? Um, so yeah, let's think about, you know, education defined by what it excludes, by what it kicks out. Um, I mean, we see that now with Ron DeSantis, with, um, you know, kind of Florida school libraries you know, shutting their libraries down because, you know, they don't want to risk, you know, a lawsuit because a book's not on an approved list. 
kind of wild stuff like that. Um, the, again, the AP African American History course, education defined by what it excludes, by what it lacks. Um, let me look through my notes. So while she was at Frameworks of Tampa Bay, um, within the past few years, the District of Hillsborough County, Florida, they wanted to create like an social emotional, you know, training that has, you know, bits of DEI and the organization kind of freaked out and said peace, you know, and I asked Shay, you know, whether this was in regards to like local state or like national, you know, calls to remove diversity, equity, and inclusion, or social emotional learning, you know, from the curriculum. And she was like, does it matter? And come to find out it was definitely state. And yes, it does not matter. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, in 2020, there's an organization uh, called Castle in Chicago. They kind of developed the framework of what we know as social emotional learning sometime in the 90s. And they updated it, that definition of SEL in 2020 specifically to include diversity, equity, and inclusion. And uh, Dina Simmons, I believe, is the woman that uh, Shay referenced said that social emotional learning is white supremacy as a hug when it is not tied to action, when it is mm -hmm. not tied to diversity, equity, and inclusion, basically, mm -hmm. right? Um, so what about, you know, DeSantis seeking to censor education and access to, you know, pieces of information? Um, you know, she said that the notion that any non-educator can police information is terrifying, regardless of the information. And as with anything in education, you know, it can be a pendulum swing. Um, and But how can we count on kids to you know, make it past these periods of pendulum swings when they lack, you know, the education and the knowledge to know. Um, she is a mother now to, I think, like a toddler, a, a young kid, like three or four, something like that. And she's, she asked, it's like, who are my kids' peers and what do they know? And, you know, what do they know about what it means to interact with the world? Um, and, you know, she's talked about, you know, kind of like at that age, you know, at an early age, at a talking age, you know, in math, we sort by attributes. And that can lead to conversations on sorting ourselves and sorting identities. Um, and shoving things under a rug absolutely do not help. And it really starts with the adults, you know. And ideally at that age, you know, teachers' perspectives, you know, need to take into account unconscious bias. And that's lots of heavy mental work. Let's not, you know, disregard that. But um, that kind of leads then to the teachers to think, you know, I'd feel scared to say what needs to be said. Um, kind of falling in kind of with like, you know, some themes of fascism right there. Mm. Um, she was really great. She gave a lot of um, good wisdom and good advice on that. And, you know, she's happy that, you know, now she's no longer with Framework. She's working as a teacher at her kid's private progressive school. Mm. But, you know, again, she's worried for kids in Florida in general and kind of like how this would reverberate out 
of Florida. Um, and I mean, I feel like on a lot of these, you know, podcasts, especially Christian ones, there can be a lot of focus on the negative, the trauma, the things like that. Um, I don't really want to focus on, you know, the, the terrors of my experiences, you know, in this bubble that I was in, you know, during my formative years. Mm. But, you know, I think about, uh, again, about my community here, about how everybody has their own personality, has their own identity. There are so many people that I know across the LGBTQIA plus spectrum that are here that, you know, are my neighbors, are, are some of my closest friends in, in several friend groups here. And I think about how less my life would be here without any one of them, mm. not in the picture. Now, I couldn't wait to get out of grade school. I really couldn't. And high school graduation, it was, I was just like, oh, I'm finally done with this crap. I can get the heck out of here. Um, I got a card from Mrs. Tome, the director of fine arts at the school. And she was the only one to give me that. I've got it right here in my hands. It was mm. in a box that I kind of discovered, you know, not too long ago. Um, and I mean, she's kind of as great as she is, you know, she was kind of um, not universally loved, we'll say, even by the fine arts kids. She had the nickname Crazy Aunt Judy, <laughs> which I mean, it sounds cute, but, you know, maybe people were kind of poking, you know, at maybe some of the things that she would say outside of artsy stuff. You know, I don't really remember, you know, much of that. But I do remember, you know, she leaned a little bit more politically conservative. And I guess most people would if you'd been in this bubble for so long. And she was an older woman, too. Mm -hmm. She had been around with the school, I think, since, you know, it was it opened in the middle 1980s. Um, wow. Right. So she'd been in the Christian evangelical movement for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, but how I met her was in kindergarten. Um, you know, struggling with communication, struggling with those kind of skills. I really took to art because it's a way to express yourself really without any words. And you don't need to really understand spoken or written language in order to get a message out of art. And she was my kindergarten art teacher for one year. Well, kindergarten. Um, and I just loved going to her art class every week I think it was on Friday so it wasn't just the weekend but it was you know that time where I got to hang out in her class and she loved everything that I did you know and then I didn't see her again until middle school and high school when she was the director of fine arts for the school um, and I think it was because of you know her good graces that I was able to succeed in the fine arts spaces at the school you know, and get everything that I did get out of it. Um, now, this card, it has some Christianese, like, near the end. So, like, if that triggers you, I'm sorry. I'm going to kind of try to include it anyway, because I want to give, like, some added context um, and kind of, like, you know, how I want to wrap up this bit. Um, Daniel, your college search is taking you so far away. 
you and Adrian have been a joy for many years, although you stuck around me and Adrian didn't. And then in parentheses, she put, I know, I could be scary at times. Oh my God, so far, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I love your ability to ask questions until you get enough answers. I love that you never, ever quit. I love your humor, your laughter, your care for other people. I love that you are unique and that you know it and love it. Someone once told me, it's great to be unique. You can't be easily replaced. I hope you will keep in touch. You will have lots of stories of great adventures. So keep Christ in the center of your adventures and go where he leads you. Stay in the center of his will. I'll pray for you to be safe as you are a world away. And hey, if you ever hear that I'm in the home, come by and tell me some stories and we'll oh. laugh and laugh. My love and prayers, always, J-Tone. Oh, cute. So one of the last things that Shay had to offer me, well, Dr. Aurora Karashi to you, <laughs> right. right, is, you know, what is social emotional learning? What is diversity, equity, inclusion? What's the marriage of the two of those and why it is so important in an educational environment? Um, it builds an environment that can be navigated where mm. you can meet other people, where you can interact with people of difference and learn from them and grow to accept them and that they accept you. And she said, a kid just needs one person as a safe person. And that doesn't even need to be a teacher that you're fully open about aspects of your identity with. And she also said, you know, why would you want to face vitriol after long lived experiences of, you know, facing devalidation or devaluation? So how does this tie back to the card? How does it tie back to the Christians in the middle? You know, I think that this card is a extremely heartfelt letter that has all of the markings of sincere well wishes and hopes for a happy and bright future away from the present that she shares with me in the most sincere and the most special language that she knows how to communicate language that is so very prominent in these white evangelical circles mm. um going back again to straight white american jesus and the section that dan miller says that you know it or says it, he calls it because that's the name of the section is called it's in the code um a lot of the christianese that like either people outside of that white evangelical bubble or like non-christians here from people that are within that bubble you know it's it's not intended to be like confusing as it is or not intended to be like harmful or exclusionary that's literally the language that these people have learned in these bubbles mm. right so i think it's important to you know as i, I kind of wanted to like censor out the Christianese and just focus on the me parts because it's all about me 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 and this little card right this yeah. very cute card but you know this is a big part of her mm. this is a part of her that wants to convey you know a very fond mess a message of fondness a message of love I think that's I think that's fine you know mm. 
there's the nuance in here in the black and white. And I think that it is very, I mean, there are definitely, you know, many people that identify as Christian that, you know, are supporting institutions or supporting denominations that are, you know, anti-LGBTQ or that are uh, enablers or apologists for far-right political ideologies and figures, right? But that's not Christianity. White evangelicalism, Jerry Falwell, uh, James Dobson, and all these other people that are out there, they're not the authority on Christianity. There are countless denominations, however many, even more countless translations over the years, how those translations have been interpreted, reinterpreted, and everything, right? Mm. That, I I mean, like, I have a few friends that are progressive Christians that are even LGBTQ themselves, and you know what? That's their bag. I'm, if, you know, if they love it, I like it, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not for me, but you know, I'm not going to police what queer people, you know, can do as Mm -hmm. long as, you know, they're not enabling harm to the rest of us, you Mm -hmm. know, whether we be LGBTQ Christians or not, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just be real about it. Um, I feel like that's it. You know, Ooh. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if we really like answered all the questions. I don't know. You have any other questions for me or I, I think you covered it all. I mean, I think it's a beautiful way to, to convey all of this, like information that is coming up societally through narrative. I mean, I've just really enjoyed listening to your story. The Ron DeSantis, the Lauren Boberts, the Marjorie Taylor mm. Greens, all of the, the James Dobson's, the Jerry Falwell's, all of these Christian nationalists or people that use Christian nationalist language in order to get votes, you know, Mm -hmm. or things like that, 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 that doesn't have to be Christianity if that's your thing. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and I mean, you, you go, you work, well, you do stuff at a church, Methodist, right? Yeah. Hardly evangelical. (laughs) Hardly. But it's like, yeah, it's like, there are affirming spaces. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, um, let's go back to the 350 trans bills, you know, brought up in states in record numbers so far. We haven't even finished February yet. Let's go back into the terrifying stuff that is happening in our streets. Uh, last weekend, I went into DC to hang out with friends and go to a brunch and, you know, support friends of mine that were doing nightlight stuff, of which I also do as well. Um, I did that all in DC. I got back home in Silver Spring where I live, you know, late at night. And apparently the Proud Boys were out protesting at Loyalty Books, you know, and like, this is, this, this is diet DC over Mm -hmm. here, Silver Spring. (laughs) It's not DC. I wouldn't really call it like, you know, as gritty or as fun as John Waters, Baltimore. Love that place though. Love John Waters as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, you know, there's a lot of terrifying stuff right now. What do you do? I feel like if you feel comfortable doing the thing where you hide, like I did in grade school. I mean, I honestly thought that my parents were co-signing every little thing that I heard or experienced at my, at my Christian school. And, you know, that led me to be really scared of them 
been coming out for a long time and I've been, you know, separated from my dad for several years, but I came out to my mom using the Washington Blade article uh, and to my biological father, who is 100% Chilean, hence why I look so white. Hello. Yeah. Hey, hi. <laughs> I know, right? Condorito said, hi, hola, right? <laughs> yeah. Popping up in the chat. Um, but both of them were super cool. Uh, my mom was like a little like, you know, well, honey, how does it feel to be out? And I was like, well, you know, it is important to show your, your neighbors and your friends and other people's society that it is okay to be gay, trademark, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And that, you know, when you show yourself authentically to other people, you know, it, it's not just kind of trusting other people with a bit of you, but it, it is a bit, of, it is an act of self-love, right? Mm -hmm. um, my biological father was super cool about it. He's like super chill. He's got like a uh, sticker on his motorbike of like white Jesus riding a motorcycle, but he also has the progress flag, not just the pride flag, the progress flag next to motorbiking Jesus. I love and it. he sent me a picture of that. And he was like, that progress flag is for you. Oh, so, like I have a pretty, I have a pretty good, you know, yeah. I didn't really lose any friends, even from like my grade school days over coming out, like much later on, I have a great community over here, you know, I need to kind of share the love I need to, you know, kind of do my part because I have some friends that have gone through conversion therapy that have mm. gone through conversion therapy, like one of them did it on his own choice. Yeah, I mean, we're all brainwashed. I have, I have friends that have lost their families over coming out. And it mm. really sucks because yeah. I was scared of that reality. And it feels kind of kind of twisted to be, you know, saying like, I came out just fine. It's like, well, no, you didn't. Still struggling with some, you know, personal issues, some body issues, you know, some kind of like validation issues. But like, I have amazing, I have an amazing community here in DC and a great family to where, mm -hmm. you know, I'm getting to work on that now. Yeah. And, you know, I think being a part of LULAC, shout out to LULAC, you know, they gave me a space to find a voice because it, it doesn't even matter if you're like, you know, white or white passing, or you have a lot of like that social capital in these white evangelical spaces, you know, if you're, you're non-white or you are ethnic, you know, that identity is like, well, you're not really Latino or, mm -hmm. you know, oh, well, you're not like them. Yeah. As yep. if, you know, they're somebody that's like excluded, you know, out of this little circle of, you know, exclusivity. Yeah. You know, screw that. Right. Amen. But as the people over our friends over at Straight White American Jesus say, we have a lot of reasons for hope and your story your journey and even just recording this podcast is part of that the world progresses yeah. and that's why people are fighting so hard against it and we will prevail as history but, <laughs> but i will just end with this one thing you know i think about again this education defined by what it lacks mm -hmm. i want to also think of it as like an education that kind of controls personal development you know, I keep on getting this image in my mind of like a bonsai tree, you yeah. know, from a very early age, very much sharply pruned, 
you know, manipulated in a certain way so that when it grows older, it's not going to get any bigger. It's not going to be able to support itself in certain ways. You know, the roots are not going to go, you know, out of the pot and, you know, become a big tree. It's this tiny little thing. It's very deformed. I think that's what, you know, there's certainly a lot of anecdotes, a lot of personal stories, a lot of, you know, things, news reports of things of people that have been in white evangelical education spaces and that have come out of it, you know, hurt in very big ways. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, at 33 years of age, am giving full muñeca realness, and I am hot, and I am confident in a lot of ways. And sometimes, you know, the next day I'm like, you know, right? Like I'm suffering. And Mm -hmm. the thing is, is that where, where does this all begin? If we're thinking about like bonsais and, you know, kind of the ways we can be manipulated like bonsais, I want to cut over to a different visual. And that is just flowers, any kind of flower, your favorite, whatever, whatever you want. Right. Because I think of flowering plants, I think especially of like wildflowers, lilies, roses, um, hello, plant daddy coming through, Mm -hmm. right? I'm thinking of like all like these wild, awesome flowers that are all different in their colors, their textures, their sizes, their shapes and everything, the authentic ways in which they bloom, Mm. you know, the flower in and of itself kind of being a bit of like a symbol of like, Uh, sexual maturity of like you're feeling yourself you're putting yourself out there you're blooming flower you know and I'd be so lucky if a bee would visit me right you know that kind of (laughs) thing and I think of all the authentic ways flowers bloom as they do and that you know after winter comes and spring comes again we are guaranteed another opportunity to bloom just as authentically as we are and Mm. it's a powerful visual totem for me it's something that I think a lot about especially now since I've stepped back from LULAC in 2023 just so then I can have like a sanctuary year and kind of again work on myself and try Mm -hmm. to think of you know how does Danielito Sabrosito need to be taken care of at 33 years of age Mm -hmm. in this year of our Lord 2023 right Mm -hmm. thinking about that and as it is unseasonably warm over here in DC and the flowers and cherry blossoms and the, you know, the, uh, the crocus and the daffodils are starting to come up. I'm starting to see that with all the different kinds of flowers over here, you know, me and my community, we're gonna bloom. There may be some scary people out there with some garden shears or with some lawnmowers you know, that want to do nothing more than just cut us down to our roots, if that, right? But mm. what the world needs right now is flowers. What the world needs, all LGBTQ people, or what the world needs to give us, and as well as us building this garden bed for ourselves, is a space, the courage to bloom. I think if we do that, then, you know, we'll be beautiful and we'll make and signal to everybody else that it is also safe to bloom here. I think that's about it. I love it. Well, on that note, friends, that beautiful little note, 
Let's end this podcast with a little bit of plugs. Daniel, do you have anything to plug? I have no public social media and I have nothing to plug except I want you to get involved in your community Mm. because I already told you all the spooky stuff that's happening down in Florida, right? Mm. And it's also happening in 36 other states. I want to encourage you to also bloom in a way and grow in a way and get plugged into your community and support the people who are most vulnerable Mm. and even people that you do not see as sharing many aspects of, you know, oneness with yourself. I really want to encourage everybody to do that because we can't have a healthy place to bloom. We can't have the garden bed. We can't have the beautiful meadow unless if we make it that way. Amen. Amen, friends. All right. Well, you heard it here. Go bloom in your own time and in your own space. And Help your community to do so as well. Well, friends, as always, you can find me at Josie Takes the World. You can find the podcast at Speaking in Church on Instagram. And that's it. Stay woke or get woke, friends. Bye. This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast. 